You're listening to the Garden City Church Podcast. We just want to say thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Garden City is doing, you can go to GardenCityNW.com slash give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Welcome to Spiritual Questions. We believe a community of belonging practices spiritual inquiry and discovery. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. I just love that image that God uh, wants to reason, wants to dialogue, wants to um, walk through life with us in a way like a, like a father or mother would want to walk with a child. And there's learning and there's curiosity that are so central to being human. Um, that God isn't just wanting to download creeds and theology into our brains. He he actually wants us to actively think and reason with him. You know, Jesus embraced a spirituality of spiritual inquiry and curiosity. He was always engaging people's deepest and toughest questions, and he was always asking questions back, helping people to think more deeply about their thoughts, their doubts, and even their lives. Now, Jesus loved curiosity and loved through curiosity. A life of love isn't a life of knowing everything, never struggling, never doubting. It's a life of invitation to curiosity, wonder, and exploration of the universe that God has made. And Jesus beckons us into a world filled with God's love and beauty and truth and goodness. And although it is, there is brokenness and there are things that are very difficult and hardship does come into our lives. It's so much better to be able to walk with a community that's trying to discover and be curious and and be able to dialogue about the world that we live in, especially a community that's centered on Jesus. So are we willing to explore that world with Jesus? Following his example, we're going to be taking time to dwell on our spiritual questions. Questions, many of them sent in by you, our community. So what questions are you wrestling with these days? What questions are your friends wrestling through? Message us, let us know. Like We'd love to have them be part of even this series. Um, I just think that's so important. So if you know someone who might feel like an outsider, feel like a skeptic, a doubter, or is maybe just spiritually curious, invite them to join in on the dialogue. And maybe you might feel that way, even if you're a Christian, or maybe you're, you're just exploring faith. I want to invite you to join us. So let's get into the questions. Is this the end times? This is a great question. I've, I've just noticed generally that people are posting and talking a lot more about this. Whether they're Christians or not Christians, I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of change that's happened, a lot of change that can seem really awful and is awful. We just went through a 100-year pandemic. Uh, there's war in Europe. Negative news, bad news hits us so much faster, and we're consuming so much more knowledge. And a lot of it, like the stuff that that catches the, the eye and gets human attention is often negative. And so as this is coming at us, and I haven't been through a time quite like this before, Uh, I think that's a natural question. Is this the end times? I do think it's important to remember historically, especially if we were living in the West, where we have the technology and the wealth and the um, just the capacities that we have is, I mean, is so privileged compared to a lot of history. 
most of history. Um, and then in the world, like there's people who have been Christians who have lived through terrible atrocities, terrible persecutions, terrible plagues. And I think that there's a there's probably a um, a reality that many Christians have asked this in their eras, in their historical uh, times that they've lived in. If we were to look at the biblic- at this biblically, the end times is generally understood as the time after Christ and and between the resurrection of Jesus and the renewal of all things, where the the Christian narrative says, "Hey, Jesus is coming back to put things right." That might be understood as like between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. If you look back at these 2,000 years, these this would be considered the end times from a biblical perspective. But I think the question people are asking now is, is is the, like the end times, like Jesus coming back, is that imminent? Is that going to happen soon? Because it just seems crazy right now. Well, Jesus actually taught on kind of this idea of like trying to figure out what the time, like when is Jesus going to come back? When, you know, like <laughs> people doing Bible math, trying to figure out when he's coming back. Here's what Jesus said about this. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, uh, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. So what I'm saying is going to stand and the, the heavens and earth, they will pass. There will be like an, an end to some of the, the brokenness in this world. Now hone in here. Jesus says, but nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Nobody. Not the heavenly angels and not the son, not, not Jesus, not himself. But it, it goes on to say the father knows. Only the Father knows. So no one knows the exact time. Jesus said this. No one knows. If we start focusing all of our energy and time worried and trying to predict the future, that can become a waste of time. Time that is wasted, not loving, but being afraid and trying to predict, versus time that could be spent loving and caring and doing the things that Jesus taught us to do. So let's not get distracted. And Jesus actually goes on later in this passage to teach on how we can be ready and faithful, living in the kingdom here and now, so we don't miss the life God has given us to live here and now, because we're thinking so much about the the world that could be, and we're afraid of what what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. So I just want to encourage you, when thinking about end times, it's it's so important to remember a few things. God is creating a new world through Jesus. Here and now, like that's the purpose of the church is to be God's expression of love and beauty and truth here and now. And remember, God is putting things right through King Jesus. And as the world seems to be getting darker, God is turning evil to good. Like good is happening. Wheat is growing up amongst the weeds and God is making all things new. So the future is beautiful. It's not something that we have to live with fear about. I love this image of what God is going to do that we can look forward to found in Revelation 21. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. Heaven is coming to earth. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Like sorrow is going to be removed. Death will no longer 
it will it will be no more. There will be no more crying or pain anymore, and the former things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making all things new. Now, before jumping out of this question, I do want to just spend a moment talking about uh, how we look at the book of Revelation, how we look at end times through the book of Revelation. That can become kind of this, I don't know, kind of like mystical, magical book that actually can cause more problems and be unhelpful and almost more confusing than helpful. Um, And so let me just talk about the book of Revelation and end times for a moment. Often the discussion around Revelation can fall into one of two interpretive categories, prediction or perception. I think it was Eugene Peterson who said that. When we look at the book, we look we can look at Revelation, the book of Revelation, like predictively, like we're trying to make predictions, or to gain a new perception. There's a prediction approach and a perception approach. Nelson Craybill writes this, The last book of the Bible is not a catalog of predictions about events that would take place 2,000 years later. Rather, it is a projector that casts archetypal images of good and evil onto a cosmic screen. It's for helping us discern. It's for helping us uh, have perception, not just be locked into trying to make a bunch of predictions and a lot of speculation. So let me just talk about uh, the uh, how we approach the, the book of Revelation, the impact of that approach between the prediction and perception kind of approaches. The prediction approach often leads to literal interpretations, like highly literal interpretations, rather than a literary interpretation or approach um, when looking at the metaphors and the imagery is found in Revelation. And sometimes we can misread because of that. The prediction approach can sometimes have a speculative approach rather than a focus on faithfulness to the way of Christ when we're experiencing um, hardship and tension and trouble. Sometimes we can forget the predictive approach kind of like reads the Bible as if it's just reading our story here right now. And we forget that this was written to Christians in the Roman Empire who um, were experiencing some really major hardship, major tension, even persecution. They were really going through difficult times. And this book was written to encourage them to continue living the way of the of the cross, the way of Jesus, in the middle of that atmosphere and in their historical moment. So sometimes we can be too quick to jump into our times to start speculating like, what is this figure and what does that symbol mean? Is that this country? Is that this person in our world? And we're kind of, we're, we're reading past who it was written for in their time. So we're missing the historic and the literary um, aspects of Revelation, and we can miss a lot. And our focus gets kind of put on, sometimes our focus gets put on the opposite of what John is trying to get us to focus on, which is how to be faithful to our faithful God in faithful ways. Here's another thing. We can begin um, from a speculation approach to Revelation, uh, focusing on conspiracies um, that can kind of run rampant, um, like the latest and greatest conspiracy or uh, the speculation uh, questions of like, who is the beast in our day and age? What country or countries are against us and against God? And kind of almost assume like a nation-centric, like America is like the center of the story of Revelation. And historically, that's not, I mean, that would be, you you get such a poor reading of it to, to just read our nation into the middle of this thing. 
Um, other questions that are very speculative, like what date will God come back on? Jesus kind of already said, hey, don't spend time doing that. Uh, only the Father knows. Uh, questions like who's really in and who's really out of the family of God? And so we start training our eyes for that. Uh, who's going to be raptured? You know, who, who's going to leave others and God's going to like disappear these people to uh, from the earth and then everybody else is going to have to fend for themselves. You know, we need to be afraid of that. We need to speculate about that. Other speculations like which political party is the faithful political party giving us the illusion and delusion that like one party is right and one nation is right and one type of church group is right. The perception approach moves away from that and helps us focus on learning how to faithfully love God and people during times of tension, change, and great hardship. The perception approach helps us learn how to uh, wisely engage our world rather than escape this world. And granted, I mean, there's major challenges in this world. I mean, Revelation is writing to people in the midst of tremendous pressure and persecution and hardship. So it's very realistic, but it's training our eyes to wisely engage rather than escape this world. Um, How to enact heaven on earth in the middle of hardship rather than escape earth in the middle of hardship. The perception approach helps us Remember the way of the Lamb. This is at the heart of the story of Revelation, not the way of the beast. The renewal of all things and the putting the world to rights, as N.T. Wright might say. Uh, This is the work of Christ and his church, and that's the work that we have to do in the middle of this crazy world we live in. So this focus on the renewal and the work of Jesus and and the work of the cross and the work of the Lamb in the, in the middle of our world in Revelation is much more central then than trying to speculate about being raptured, um, a picture of a vengeful, fearful time of escapism and destruction. The story of the Lamb and the people of the Lamb keep the focus on what our human vocation, our purpose, human, our human job. Um, and as humans, we see in Revelation, we're, we're, we're here to worship and serve God and steward God's creation without worshiping God's creation. The story contrasts lamb power rather than beast power when it comes to our approach to politics, our approach to civil or public life um, in our communities. Um, it contrasts our church life or any and all forms of uh, handling power, lamb power versus beast power two totally different things. We are called to faithfully serve and love our world the way Jesus did, the way Jesus does. Now, the speculative prediction approach can encourage a form of scapegoating sometimes too, because focusing on looking for the enemy versus uh, looking how, how to serve our enemy. And so the scapegoating is turned into the self-giving lamb approach when, we, uh, when Jesus is put at the center of the story. And the vision of the Lamb is so different to the normal human impulse under pressure and tension. Richard B. Hayes writes this about the central vision in the book of Revelation. He says, It is the vision of a slaughtered lamb, not a ferocious lion. The shock of this reversal discloses the central mystery of the apocalypse or the revelation. God overcomes the world not through a show of force, but through the suffering death of Jesus. 
this mysterious way of overcoming the world's evil through faithful love, cross, not conspiracy, hope, not hopelessness, engagement, not escapism, should be the focus of Christians when we are thinking about end times. And the role of Christians, you and me, who may believe our role in hard times. And then we can enter a story that contrasts the way of Babylon versus the way of the new heavenly Jerusalem, the garden city, the way God designed it. The way of the, of the lamb versus the way of the beast. Human vocation as peaceful stewards and servants rather than violent exploiters and takers. The way of life versus anti-life. The way of the cross of Jesus and resurrection and the way of the world. How are you looking at end times? Are you predicting or are you gaining a new perception? How do I grow in a community with differences without dividing? Boy, uh, this is true everywhere. This is families. This can be around the dinner table. This can be about boardrooms. This can certainly be um, even in the church. And in the last few years, you can see the, the polarities of our world um, pulling and creating tensions, uh, even in, and especially in the church. We've tackled a lot of the different angles um, that are really getting at, like, how do we live at peace in a peaceless world and a uh, a world that's struggling with unity. We've we've looked at a lot of like third way approaches, like ways that we follow Jesus and the tools that He gives us. And so I thought I'd approach this question um, maybe more personally, just um, with the best of, of of maybe my story growing up. Um, I grew up with a, a friend group in high school and college that uh, actually really loved and embraced different thinking, and I, and I think it was a huge blessing that helped prepare me for times such as these in the last few years where there's a lot of uh, division, a lot of pressure pushing people apart. Sometimes, you know, in my group of friends, um, sometimes small conversations would turn into heated exchanges. Sometimes people had to come back and make it right and apologize and forgive. And, um, the, you know, those things were exchanged. And But that was expected. There was like this expectation of thinking and communicating and disagreeing and yes, even changing opinions and convictions within this friend group. And we created space for that. There was an expectation for that. You know what? Everybody there, I'd have to say everyone, maybe with the exception of one person, had really deep convictions and cared so deeply about like, you know, a lot of hypothetical things uh, that, you know, uh, 16 years of experience shouldn't give you. <laughs> But we welcomed deep convictions, but didn't allow the convictions to be deeper and wider than our love, our care and concern for each other. Um, this was really important for me. We, you know, wasn't a perfect group of people, and there were things, a lot of things that we've, you know, since grown and learned. But, but just that general expectation that an embracing of difference was, I think, really important. We wanted different perspectives. We we knew we'd grow stronger through those things. And when I would just ask you, when was the last time? you wanted to be in a community that um, challenged your thinking? When was the last time you changed your mind? When, when was the last time you gave friends, family, uh, other people, the time and space to be able to change their minds on subjects? You know, I have to admit, at 40, I don't think uh, exactly the same way that I did when I was 16. How about you? 
Um, we're all learning and processing, and it's so easy to forget that in the vacuum of really pressurized, tense moments. So how do we, again, how do we cultivate like um, expressions of community that have difference without dividing? Um, I think learning to really listen and then also learning to speak honestly from the heart is really important. Because if, if you have a, a differing opinion, but you're speaking it honestly from the heart, it, there's a receptivity that I think happens within community rather than if it's it maybe thoughtless, careless, or um, not from the heart. It's just kind of like off the cuff or whatever. It's not heartfelt. Sometimes, you know, it, uh, people don't take it as seriously or hold it as um, maybe with uh, charity as, as, as they should. But listening and speaking is a really important skill. Growing up, dialogue was valued more than dogma. This is really important for us. So like dogma wasn't the most important thing dialogue was. Questions and topics were valued over uh, one ideology. You can have a group of people that have different smatters of ideology all hanging out. Interesting. So it was about relationships for us. Our friendships were more important than our politics. Go figure, right? If someone was becoming a little tyrant with their ideology, their politic, their thing, um, the group, the group let them know with humor and with honesty, kind of like kept that from, you know, some tyrant from ruling everybody. And it, it just kept it healthy. We truly believed disagreements and different perspectives made us all stronger and wiser with our, within our own convictions as a community. So the things I pick out of that, and this is all I would, you can look at other areas on our website that tackle this issue of kind of unity and diversity. But I would you you see this yeah in the scriptures and I see it in my life when it was at its best in community that we you like diversity you want diversity that's really important this means that in any given room digital or physical we should expect there to be different opinions and convictions embrace this fact and the tensions uh, as opportunities rather than you know running away from them or becoming you know the theological thought police you know nobody. Nobody likes that. People get shut down over that. They're not even going to share who they really are. And you won't even know there are different perspectives because you're a little theological tyrant. Don't do that. Study how Jesus held these tensions and differences so well. Kind of the next virtue of value is unity. Like seeking unity where it can be found um, is so important. What is the common ground? Seeing the common ground, being able to focus on that, uh, focus on other people's humanity, like the, uh, the hurts and the the, the stories that we've all gone through, gone, gone through the human experience that we shared. And, you know, as Christ, as a Christian, um, really holding to the essentials, but giving freedom on, of thought, freedom of different convictions um, on, on areas that aren't like essential. And, you know, for our church, we have like uh, kind of our theological essentials. You can go look at it, but um, I'd encourage you to go to look at it, but that, there's a unity when you can have that and then give freedom to other people. And that freedom is giving freedom to others and maintaining freedom for yourself. When you have freedom, you, you're going to disagree. And there are going to be things that people are processing and thinking and exploring. They might even say things that offend you. And, you know, that's just, that's part of human growth. And, and I would say that leads to the, you know, unity, freedom, and then self-control. We, we can choose how we respond to being offended, how we respond to feeling offended. And, um, I can't help but but think that when we learn to give freedom to others to think differently, even in ways that we might completely disagree, 
that there, there is a demonstration of love that's happening when we're giving that freedom to someone that we're like, how can they believe this? How can they think this? And then we have a community that can have differences without dividing necessarily. And I just think that's really, really important. And all these things are expressions of love and holding love, like the, the love of Christ, the way Jesus loved a world. Um, that's what we're getting after. And I think that really lasts and, and creates a lasting community. So hopefully some of that's helpful. Why and how should I read the Bible? This is a common question that comes up um, a lot for Christians because the uh, you know, Bible is a central and amazing gift um, to the church. And, uh, but it also, there's a lot of disagreement on, on it. Go figure, you know, get a few humans in a room and they, they disagree with each other, huh? Why and how should we read the Bible? Um, here's a verse from Timothy. Some of you might've heard this before. It's a good base reminder. Uh, God has breathed life into all scripture. It is useful for teaching us what is true. It is useful co- for correcting our mistakes. It's useful for making our lives whole again. It's useful for training. That's cool. It's useful for training, training us what to what is right. By using scripture, the servant of God can be completely prepared to do every good thing. The scriptures are to help us live the life that we're designed to live. So we're not designed like for the Bible. The Bible is designed for us to learn how to be human. And primarily, one of the primary ways the Bible does that is the Bible reveals Jesus. The Bible points to Jesus. Uh, we don't worship. <laughs> Um, the Bible, we worship Jesus. The Bible didn't die for our sins. Jesus did. Now, the Bible is very, very important. It's uh, called, in, the scriptures say it's inspired. It's God-breathed. I, I love what Jesus says about the scriptures. Check this out. In the book of John, Jesus said, you study. He's talking to the, the Pharisees and religious people um, who've kind of got off on this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus isn't against diligently studying the scriptures. He wants them to, but the the Pharisees, the religious leaders have become so enamored, so focused on that they've missed the one that the scriptures are pointing to. Jesus is in their midst, right in front of them, and they can't see him for who he is because they're going to the scriptures as a source of life rather than a, a, uh, a witness, a sign that points them to the source of life. Jesus says, I'm the source of life. Why are you going to that? It's not going to give you life. Only I can give you life. The scriptures point to Jesus and they help us become love like Jesus. Um, if we aren't becoming love like Jesus as a result of, of reading the scriptures diligently, we know we've gone wrong somewhere. So make sure to read all of Scripture holistically through the Jesus lens. I think that's really important. Now, here's something that uh, is adapted from John Fallon Jr. I think this is really good. Uh, It says this, We are concerned, in the way he approached Scripture, it was concerned with the central message and affirmation of the Bible. We're not interested in setting protective barriers around the Bible. We do not seek to protect the scriptures with creeds and confessions or rigid ideologies. Um, God doesn't need that kind of protection. The Bible is not like wasn't given to us so that we can create a bunch of walls around it. Um, uh, Falan goes on to say, "We seek more than truth in the Bible. We seek life." Remember, that's what Jesus said: seek life. 
and that's found in Christ. Not set up boundaries and borders, but rather points of access for people to find new life in Christ. We find in our living faith an occasion for ecumenical conversations. That's like, you know, you know, people from different denominations to have conversations together. Whatever our theological differences, the Bible is the word of God and continues to speak with us by the power of the Spirit, producing new life in Christ. Rather than seeking ways to defend and exclude, the church has sought to assure many points of access to enable even the most skeptical or broken to move toward the heart of God. Like this is kind of like the, the way we try to look at the scriptures. So how do we read and listen to the Bible? And this is very practical, how we read. There's three key things that I'd leave with you today. It's to read the Bible holistically, to read it communally, and to read it humbly. Holistically is recognizing cultural and historic context when we come to the scriptures, understanding that no single passage by itself you know, is the word of God, but, but looking at it holistically, interpreting the passage in light of Jesus within the context of the author, literary genre, and the whole of scripture. This helps us discern what it means for the church, for us communal, uh, today. We also read communally. So we read scriptures together. We, we learn and discern from each other's perspectives, understanding that the Holy Spirit uh, and the community of faith works in concert. And uh, this is reading in community from even people in the past who have come before us, these saints that have left these rich wisdom deposits on um, understanding the scriptures and how it impacted their lives. It's, it's incredible, the, the wisdom and the transformation that's found in, um, in, the, in the Bible. And we remember that uh, we not only stand uh, shoulder to shoulder with other Christians, but we stand on the shoulders of other saints from this beautiful past. And finally, we read humbly. Um, we do this by developing an awareness of the lenses through which we view Scripture. Every one of us come with our own personal lens, our, our own set of assumptions and presuppositions through which we see and understand, through which we even read the Bible at first, this lens is formed by culture, context, gender, geography, language, um, and so many other things. Our understanding of life and personal history and all the baggage we might be carrying. As Garden City Church becomes more and more diverse in conviction and background and um, um, in culture, we believe it is uh, actually a movement of the Holy Spirit as we see more diverse folks coming together under the banner of Christ. And we must be attuned and sensitive to the various lenses through which we read the Bible. Doesn't mean we don't have like strong convictions or you don't have your own personal convictions, but we're becoming uh, more self-aware and aware of others and their lenses. We must ask ourselves what our respective lenses might be and how a given lens might hinder or help our reading. We must recognize where we've been wrong in our interpretations to remind us of the need for humility. We must be sensitive enough to listen well to others, reading um, with lenses differently from our own, being open to being challenged and changed by, by the word of God. And we must be humble readers. Read scripture humbly with regard to differing interpre interpretations, not loudly, meanly, mean-spirited, uh, with like a spirit of arrogance or anger um, or pride or fear. We don't have to be afraid. We can be humble and courageous at the same time. 
We want to read humbly, especially in regards to differing interpretations on matters not central to our core beliefs. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2 says. So we want to emphasize life together, centered in Christ as our unifying bond, and that makes us humble readers. Some of the, the things that we um, been, I've been teaching today are based on um, writings with like theological writings about the Bible from the Evangelical Covenant Church and John Fallon. I'm really grateful for you know just some of their uh, contributions on my thinking and, and this uh, teaching. And let's be humble as we come to Scripture and let's be transformed. Thanks for joining us um, on our Spiritual Questions um, sermon series. I hope this got you thinking and um, maybe kind of uh, brought forth some questions that you've been having on on the interior and kind of maybe surfaced those. Um, And I want to encourage you, don't let the conversation stop here. Um, Engage with people, dialogue with people, learn and grow as we move forward on our journey toward Christ together. So thanks for joining. I love you so much. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or comments about today's message or would like to contact Garden City Church, reach out at info at gardencitynw.com or click contact in our show notes. Garden City services are made possible by your generosity. Your generosity is love in action. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.